to kill him! What? He's dead? Not anymore. Queer Horror Cult. Yeah, welcome back for sure, especially on the horror front given last week's episode. <laughs> um, we hope you enjoyed our little debauched side journey or sojourn to the uh, drawing room where we got real ribbled with it. Yeah. I know I enjoyed it. Was <laughs> <laughs> that what that means? <laughs> Which? Getting ribbled with it? Yeah, ribbled. ribbled I think I've heard that before. Oh. I enjoyed it, yes. <laughs> Like, uh, I think there's a porno movie out there called The Ribbled Tales of Canterbury. So, Jesus. yeah, there it's like, be. it's like a, cause apparently Tales of Canterbury wasn't ribbled enough. So oh, it wasn't pornographic enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how are you doing this week? I'm here. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> it, it feels kind of weird asking the how you're doing. Cause, um, as we mentioned, we're, we're kind of attached to the hip. That, yes. I was going to say we're recording these episodes way ahead of time Mm -hmm. because uh, at the time this goes up, I won't be in the country. And it's one of those things where asking how you're doing, it's like you might be like, I'm having the best week ever and everything is great. And then like, who the fuck knows? Anything could happen. Yeah, something real bad could happen. Now and then. Um, Let's hope not. Let's knock on wood and hope not. So for mid-January, you're doing good. That's cool. But this is the first episode to go up in February. It is. And what's February? February is a few things. Special it is. Things. It yeah. is. Um, well, I guess more tri- more historically in mm-hmm. terms of the length of time for which it's been recognized as such, we have Black History Month, of course. Black History Month. Yeah. But we also have, um, I think, what is it? This is the 10th year? Women in Horror Month? Yeah, this is the 10th anniversary. Yeah, so it's it's uh just want to say it's interesting that the 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 months that are honoring these groups ha- just just happens to be the shortest month of the year. Yeah. Yep. It's also no fat February, so no touching yourself. <laughs> really, it didn't no nut November just happen. People come up with the weirdest. I, I mean, it was no fat February when I was in high school, so Yeah, that's where I was goofing just, on yeah, it. Yeah. No, I I just don't know if that's still recognized or if uh, people just really need excuses not to masturbate throughout the year, in the cold months, particularly in the northern hemisphere here. And it's like, nut, don't nut, do what you want. Yeah, Why are we making months surrounding <laughs> this kind of thing? Whatever. But back to good things. Whatever. Black back history. To good things. Women in horror. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Black women in horror. Um, yeah, th- when you get both coming together, that's really something special. Yes. Um, I think it would be important because uh, it's good to point to things and like people and uh communities that are the actual communities we're talking about mm-hmm. here um is it graveyard shift sisters i believe so i believe yes. so yeah they talk about 
black women in horror a lot. Yeah, on screen, off screen, behind the scenes, in like every sort of creative position you can imagine. Yeah, if you don't follow them, definitely do. They're super informative, super cool. Yeah, and I think they're they're at least one of the women behind that is actually featured pretty predominantly in the Shutter documentary that's going to be yeah, coming Yeah, the one out. coming up, Horror Noir. Yes. Um, I'm assuming it's related this to... The, when this is published? I think it comes out at the end of the month. Oh, or does I, it the I thought it's probably like really I don't know. beginning of February. I don't Maybe. know. Lots of check. I don't know. I'm hey, excited if to it's see it out, anyway. If it's out, watch it. If it's not out, get excited Anticipate to watch it. it. Um, I'm pretty sure it... It must be related to the book of the same name that I unfortunately haven't read yet, but it's on my to-read list. Uh, there's mm. a book all about, like, same subject matter and everything called oh, cool. Hor- Horror Noir. I did not know that. Um, yeah, it's been in my Amazon wish list for a little while mm. now. Um, you get a Kindle copy for the flight. Oh, that's a good idea. Assuming they have it available on Kindle. I'm Most not sure if they do, days. but I'll check. I'll yeah. check. But yeah, so we, also, we mentioned it's also Women in Horror Month. We're going to do an episode that leans pretty heavily on that coming up a bit later this month mm-hmm. but we figured let's kick off the month with uh like let's let's really sort of i don't want to say deep dive but let's talk about black history month and let's get let's into talk some about movies. black horror specifically yeah black yeah. horror i say i don't want to get into deep dive not because i don't want to but i should qualify we are both very white yeah and neither of us of are people. like critical race scholars or anything um, so we definitely want to stay in our lane as far as our expertise, exactly. both in terms of, like, not just scholarly expertise, yeah. but lived experiences. And um, I've heard this a lot, and I agree. I think it's important for white people to educate other white people so it's not just black people doing the labor. Exactly. And all that stuff. But at the same time, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. No. Or, like, I know everything or anything. So mm-hmm. um, I like to gesture more towards... Yeah, I like to amplify the, the, the voices. Exactly, yeah. the voices that are already speaking, rather than speaking over them. I like to yeah. amplify them when possible. But that said, it's one of those things where I think it's important for us as white people to make sure that we acknowledge and uh, pay attention to anything to do with this, including Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And since we're a horror podcast, um, Black Horror, yeah. as well as Women in Horror Month, so. Uh, I guess that's going to be our, our thing today, isn't it? Um, I guess since we were talking about amplifying voices before we get into the movies, uh, are there any sort of black voices on social media, let's say Twitter, anyone that you would want to reference or bring up as someone oh, to yeah. follow? Well, Graveyard Shift Sisters, they yeah. yeah they do a lot of great work around that, both in their own work. Yeah. I'm not and... talking just horror. I'm talking general as well. Oh, general. But, but um, horror for sure. If there's yeah. something horror related, let's let's do it. Yeah. Um, I think Jordan Peele posts good stuff, of course. Another sort of absolutely recent, sort of more recently in horror. Yeah. With Get Out. Because and... I fucking loved Key and Peele back when that was the comedy <laughs> thing, and then when Get Out came out, uh, like... there was a bit of that like. He's doing horror. This guy can do horror. I know really I was well fucking too. all for like, it because yeah, it's like anyone awesome. who is like that much of a horror buff or that committed, it's like you know that the passion's gonna be there. Exactly. Yeah. And it's gonna be a voice that you don't get as much, mm-hmm. which is fucking awesome. Like get out, say no more. That movie yeah. is incredible. Exactly. Um And I think it goes without saying a white person couldn't have made that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, no kidding. It wouldn't have been the same thing. No. It would have uh it wouldn't have been the same. I, I believe it would have fallen short quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So it would have been missing something. Yeah, you know, there's something to be said for actually consult not not even just consulting the people whose experiences you're ex- expressing and or writing about, but actually 
giving them the reins to express and write about and film let their them own tell ex- the experience. yeah let them tell yeah. the story not you consult them so you can tell their stories like yeah, yeah. let them tell the story because they're i mean if you it. are going to tell their stories as an outsider and this goes for anything you're an outsider mm-hmm. of consulting is good yeah I mean, and, and paid, compensating paid consulting, that consulting is 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 good um it's better than just making shit up yourself but the fact is you know there's so many talented amazing people out there that there's no excuse not to have these voices telling their own stories yeah and bringing a certain amount of nuance and just fresh eyes and everything that we just don't really see very much because the film industry is still so homogenous. Oh God. <laughs> and once again, I say that as someone who, or I agree with that as someone who wants to crack into the film industry. Mm-hmm. And I think I have a fresh take to bring to it in a lot of ways mm-hmm. from lived experiences, but my whiteness is not one of them. Totally. Yeah. That is, that is where we get as stale as the Dempsters I look like. <laughs> So, for movies, uh, especially when you're a big fan of uh, horror and exploitation and cult movies as we are, uh, I mean, you don't really make a podcast about the shit unless you are a fan. I'd like to think. <laughs> um, it felt like the easy, obvious, and probably kind of crass thing to do would have just been like a full-blown black exploitation mm-hmm. episode. Um, and don't get me wrong, there is a ton of great movies there and a ton of great things to pull from there. Like, for example, you've got Pam Greer blowing up in these movies, just being fantastic. Yep. But, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them are just, they're white people exploiting black culture, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, the whole, ex, you know, exploitation film, it's like, yeah, there it is, the black exploitation. yeah, that's yes. the exploiting of a particular topic or... Yeah. Um, and I know from, uh, various documentaries and books I read that, like, a lot of those movies did play really well to black audiences. Mm-hmm. Like, they were populist and cool, so there is merit there, for sure. Um, but it's one of those touchy things where, you know, uh, as much as I'm a fan of them, if I just brought a bunch of Walter Hill movies to the table and was like, that's black culture, it'd be like, <laughs> okay, that's, wow. Yeah, look at it pretty, like, yeah, wow, you missed the fucking party. Pretty uncritically and, yeah. yeah. So I thought maybe having a bit of a variety, but also, as we generally do, having a cohesive theme would be cool. Mm-hmm. So we looked at, this week, we looked at sort of black revenge from beyond the grave movies mm-hmm. or movies that touch on that um specifically usually getting revenge on whitey but not in every case but uh yeah so we've got some black exploitation in there and then we have some just horror movies made by black people with black casts and uh stories that fall politically into sort of a black activist kind of mm-hmm. Yeah, like civil rights, black liberation. Even if it is done through a fairly crashous um, horror lens. Or even goofy at times. Yeah, goofy as heck sometimes. So what was the first one we watched? So we started with Sugar Hill from 1974. That was a a treat. (laughs) That was. I I think this was actually probably the one I liked the most. Oh, interesting. That's interesting. I mean... I felt like it was almost the cheapest in a lot of ways. Like, for how it was made and mm-hmm. all that. Like, it, it was kind of a cheap-looking movie at the time, but in a way that was really endearing and fun. Yeah, and I think, like, the like the like there were enough kind of, I guess, layers to what was going on with the story and stuff that I, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> yeah, I know when we were watching it, you were fairly engaged, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, this was the first time watched for both of us. Like, yeah. neither of us had seen this flick, uh, which is kind of rare on this show, so that's yeah. pretty cool. Um, and so you 
you dug it, obviously. I, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, do you want to give a quick synopsis? A quick tag. Yeah, or synopsis quick, tag on what it is. What it is, yeah. So we have um, Sugar Hill. She, mm-hmm. her, is it her husband or just boyfriend? Her love, her like long term love interest, her lover. Um, he gets like assassinated basically by yeah, like by the mob. And it's like this really nasty scene where these fucking like largely a group of white dudes beat him to death. Yeah, in like the in parking, parking lot of his lot. own club, I think. Yeah, it's a uh, pretty, pretty well, because gross scene. and isn't like the main reason like they want the the mob boss guy. He wants he wants ownership of the club mm-hmm. basically. And uh, this guy won't sell. Mm-hmm. And either and then so she yeah and, and sugar is just like fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. So the so she approaches a uh, voodoo priestess. Yep, voodoo priestess yeah, in her family, I believe. Yeah, I think it's a family member. And um, they they use magic and to conjure up Baron so Samdi. Yeah, Baron um, Samdi, who many of our film loving audience members might know from *Live and Let Die*, the James Bond movie. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, and they uh, of, of voodoo folklore fame. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's this this like underworlds essentially kind of mm-hmm. god. What was the name of the guy in *American Horror Story*? Oh, that was um, Papa Legba. Okay, because when he was coming to American Horror Story, in my mind, I was sort of flashing to Baron Sambi mm. a bit. Um, I could be very poorly conflating things. I will admit that my knowledge of my the history of, like, is fairly lacking. Is, yeah, it's very much like I know the odd thing, which is very much comes from a sort of like whitewashed. Yeah, I did a paper on voodoo in um, my religion class on witchcraft and the occult oh cool. so that should tell you right there the angle i was coming at it from because right. it's specifically a class on occult and i was trying to talk about tradition it was like a 200 level class mm-hmm. it was a very cursory thing and it was basically my attempt to do a topic other than the provided ones that were all based on modern wicca kind of right. thing because the class really did that material in a way that made it pretty uninteresting yeah it sounded like that when you told me about it yeah i didn't have the best experience in that class mm-hmm. but um so my knowledge is very limited that's for sure mm-hmm. now it's my understanding that it um was a religion that very much developed with the with the slave trade and within mm-hmm. the uh i guess african diaspora that came over to the americas and the caribbean because the traditions of it, and like I'm talking about the Hollywood version, not talking about the real right. life version, but the Hollywood version, I always got those vibes of the Catholic Exorcist movie from the way yeah. that, uh, tra- that they would show the ceremony right. in these movies. And so it is that kind of interesting blend of two worlds sort mm-hmm. of colliding. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one, yeah, they, they summon this, uh, this deity and he brings his uh, like zombie boys up mm-hmm. from, from the swamp to get revenge and kill every one of the gangsters that robbed Sugar Hill of her lover. I fucking love the zombies. This is part yeah, this, of this where was, that cheapness was coming yeah. from. Oh yeah, the, the, the like ping pong Yeah, they eyes. had like party store fake cobwebs draped over them and their eyes were just like half ping pong balls that were spray painted silver. Mm-hmm. Just bugging out of their heads. It was fucking great. Yeah, but one of the things that was really interesting was um, when he summons the dead to come up, you realize that like they're all slaves that were right yeah so yeah. this idea of the, if a, zomb- a zombie being someone you know prior to romero's kind of influence but pro- previously the zombie would have been someone kind of like we see ghosts now where they 
for some reason, their soul can't move on. They yeah. were wrongfully killed, and they either want vengeance or they need some kind of closure. Well, it's interesting because slaves and life, slaves and death. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when the hands reach out of the muck, you see the yeah, big shackles, shackles on, on their wrists. Yeah. And, uh, and I think they don't they even make reference. I might be mixing it up with one of the other things we watched, but to um, like when during transporting people for slavery when a whole bunch of them died they're just dumping their bodies i believe that was this one yeah Yeah. um it definitely that would uh jive well with uh the the plot we have going and the Mm -hmm. setup but yeah like you said prior to romero this kind of fits in more with the i walked with a zombie white zombie sort of uh mind control zombie powder kind of Mm -hmm. uh aspect like the thing you see in much later in um Serpent in the Rainbow. Right. For a more contemporary yeah. white people look at it, you yeah. know? Um, it's cool. It's a, it's a different take on it. Because this was before Dawn of the Dead, of course, but after Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. So zombies were starting to sort of blow up. But yeah. this didn't do... Like, these zombies weren't the uh, walking no around. We just walking around undead and scary. And yeah. Like, yeah. No, it was cool. It was cool seeing that blend with... It does follow a lot of the typical black exploitation revenge movies, mm-hmm. so it was cool seeing that mash up together, made kind of yeah. a horror exploitation movie. Yeah, um, and, and it added this really cool, like historical. Really, like, this is almost what I, what when I we were talking about Scooby Doo on Zombie Island and how they just kind of bypass the whole slavery. Yeah, happening in the South, especially on the, like a plantation island right. and everything. It's like these are the kinds of zombies that I would have expected. Absolutely, to see absolutely. In, yeah, as opposed to just tourists and uh, civil yeah. war soldiers and stuff. So, yeah, I like. I really like that this idea of coming back for revenge, but this like generational, almost in like a not getting directly revenge for what happened to them, but in this sort of like collective like reparations, yeah, rethink kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Because uh, largely their targets are safe for one dude um, named Fabulous, I think. Yes. Um, everyone else was your typical sort of like white, almost like Italian Italian gangster kind kind of of thing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think uh, I, yeah, just with knowing the sort of um, the history of voodoo and how how it developed and how it uh, was transmitted and just in the context of um, the, the American slave trade and everything, seeing that connection to the magic and who is brought back from the dead right basically i think that's really cool because usually I'm trying to think of examples i don't know like even like child's play they call upon a a voodoo deity and they're speaking right. in this like um Dumbala. yeah give me the power I beg of you. i'm not sure how to pronounce that word but it's it's a very sort of like creole mm-hmm. kind of sounding dialect of some mm-hmm. sort but it's yeah, it's specifically this, like, selfish, you know, this, this white serial killer using this yeah. magic where, to, you know, to his own ends, whereas in this one, it's it's still very much connected to that history that it came out of. Yeah. And so I thought, I thought that continuity, it's it's, it's really that's, cool. That's, that's what I was talking. Yeah, layer. That's what I was talking about, like, that this movie had way more layers than yeah, I like, yeah, that, expect. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting take on just, you know, the... Uh, revenge the base revenge plot mm-hmm. but the way the zombies figure into it yeah, yeah. and another thing i really like speaking of that um mm-hmm. sort of dynamic there with involving the, sl- the slave trade and everything is um you know you, you do get some explicit racism in this movie yes you know, white people saying the n-word very liberally uh-huh. and stuff and getting their asses whooped which is fucking awesome but yeah. one thing that i really liked was when we see um baron samdi when he's luring one of the guys out to be killed by the zombies, he really, he takes on this, this, uh, 
almost character, caricature, almost. yeah. Caricature, yeah, where he's he's speaking in a very sort of like um I the English he's using it, it, it's like what you see in representations of slaves and stuff where the, the Yeah, that's sort of like yes sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah like he stuff. he very um, much plays up these like expectations that mm-hmm. the white guys have of him being this like lesser, more lowly, not uneducated. Because that's not his dialect the entire movie. No, it does a, it does a very um deliberate shift. Yeah, he, he plays scene, it up yeah. and the white guy just is like, oh yeah, therefore he's harmless because he's just this, you know, uneducated, low-class guy. I, yeah. And and he's he's driving, you know, my, my taxi. I shouldn't be suspicious of him. And I really like that he weaponizes, like, or that Baron Sandu, like, weaponizes that yeah. to disarm yeah. the guys that he's lo- actually luring in to, to help kill. So I thought that was really cool, too. No, that was a cool moment, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, And that they yeah, knowingly take up that that caricature and that stereotype, I guess, and use it to their own ends. Yeah. Um, so you'd recommend this one? Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm glad you enjoyed it because, yeah, uh, especially when I haven't seen a movie before, like I've recommended movies to you before where it didn't go over as well as I'd <laughs> hoped or whatever, but yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, you really don't know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, our next movie we also hadn't seen before. Neither not. of us. This was from 1976, JD's Revenge. This one was put out by, oh yeah, Sugar Hill was put out by Scorpion Releasing, but distributed by someone else, I believe. Okay. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that because, well, yeah, just because I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, JD's Revenge put out by Arrow Video within the last year. It's, uh, I'd never heard of this movie before their release. Um, Like, its name was brand new to me, and a lot of the time with these movies, even if I hadn't seen them, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I've heard of that. I've heard of Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it until you mentioned Um, the name is something that might work for this topic. Yeah, yeah, because I knew the base premise, which uh, the base premise of this movie is um, a law student is goes to a hypnosis act at a bar and gets possessed by the soul of a gangster who was murdered. And, and witnessed his sister's murder. Yeah, who I thought was his wife for the first yeah, time. Yeah, They didn't make that very clear. I was no, like, they had the same last name, and they yeah. they weren't that that far apart in, in age. So it was like, yeah. oh, maybe yeah, they didn't make that explicitly clear. So they're both adults yeah. at the time, mm. or at least young adults. Yeah. So, but yeah, he witnesses his sister's murder, and then um, when he goes to try and you know check Stop on it. her, he, he gets implicated as the murderer. Yeah, you're the murderer, and they shoot, and they him, shoot dead. him dead. Um, but he possesses this law student and starts taking over to get revenge. That's mm-hmm. sort of the clamshell video case. Yeah. Little description. Um, I was very surprised by one big aspect of this movie that I don't think it's a huge spoiler to say because it comes across fairly early in the movie. But I assumed this would mean that the gangster was wrongfully accused and was therefore very sympathetic. Mm-hmm. But he is a piece of shit. He's he an is, absolute he piece of shit. He is a garbage, garbage person. Yeah. Like a total misogynist, like violent, crude Like yeah, when asshole. he's possessing um, Ike, which is yeah. the main character, and some of the dealings with his, with it, I don't know if they're married or not but his his partner his partner yeah. they're hard to watch like they are incredibly violent they're pointedly like, so like yes. the, i didn't get any point in the movie where i thought i was supposed to be enjoying this stuff. no 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 absolutely um, not like you're not cheering for it yeah. but i was still just like holy but shit but it's one of those things this... where you know it's like soul of a murdered gangster gets revenge kind of thing i kind of expected it was gonna be one of those like oh he was wrongfully accused which he was even he mm-hmm. was wrongfully accused of this particular thing yeah but he's not a sympathetic character he's in not. like any other way yeah 
which is interesting because it's yeah it's like i actually thought that was kind of cool yeah it's more it's more nuanced than we're used to seeing i think because usually it's like someone the revenge story you know it's always righteous yeah yeah exactly whereas it's like well yeah get revenge for your sister yeah by all means but yeah, for, for yourself, it's like, I, I'm i not cheering for you, but I also don't think that you're wrong for seeking this out. Yeah, because they're talking about his soul being able to rest. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's just like, his soul is at peace, his soul, or like, his soul will be at peace if he does this. And all what about stuff. a sister's and I'm, soul? And, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, hey, what about a sister's soul? But also, it's like, should he get that peace? Because he is He's doing some pretty really awful shit. person yeah, in so many ways. people who don't deserve it. Like, people who yeah. aren't directly involved in, or implicated in his murder, or his yeah. sister's murder. Like the like Ike's partner, like she, right? You know, she's just an innocent bystander. Or the scene when uh, he meets that woman at the bar, and her husband comes home, so he just right. messes them up with the razor, yeah, and then just laughed at him, being like, "I got mm. fucked your woman" and all that kind of stuff, yeah, and. It's fucked up. It is. It's just kind of fucked up. So I wasn't expecting any of that with this movie. And it's one of those things that, on one hand, I thought, like you said, it was nuanced. It's one of those things that I thought it made it interesting and unexpected. And Mm -hmm. that was, like, kind of cool about it. But at the same time, it made for a very ambivalent reaction to the movie. Because it's just like, well, I don't want to cheer for this guy. No. (laughs) Yeah. Um, one reading that I had of it while it was going on was, because you, you said unlike Sugar Hill, this one was written and directed by, like, black... It was written, as far as I can tell, unless I got the names mixed up, um, it was a black writer. Okay. White director, where okay. Sugar Hill, I believe, was white writer, white director. Okay. I believe. Just because, um, you know, talks about interpersonal, like, community violence and stuff are obviously very... Especially um, as it affects like black girls and women, are very much being talked about right now with the um, surviving R. Kelly documentary special that right. recently aired, and everything. And there's a lot of stuff coming, just conversations I see happening about yeah legacies and cycles of violence that don't get broken and everything. And so seeing um, this transformation that was happening with Ike, you know, it's explicitly this. He's possessed. Like, it's a ghost. Mm. It's not him. You know, he is a good person. He loves her. He would never treat her this way. But the di- the dynamic where he, he flips to this JD character and mistreats her and she she leaves but then comes back and stuff, it really reminded me, like, it's almost like an allegory for, like, inter- or, uh, intimate partner violence. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. a lot of the things she was saying, well, it's not him. It's not him. And stuff like no, that's a that's a really interesting reading because I totally see what you're talking about when you say that. Yeah, because, and and you yeah. and you know you see the doctor he's like, or I can't remember if it was the doctor. No, I think it's the the policeman who who knew her. Yeah, she, he's like you got to like you got to press charges. You got like he like he he's so mad that he can't you know nail Ike to the wall thinking that it's Ike. But, she, yeah. you know, she's like, it's not him. It's like, it, it's I, like a Jekyll and Hyde it thing. It is. And, it, and you see that so much with, like, especially, you know, I'm, I recently took a couples and family counseling course. We talked a lot about intimate partner violence. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, this it, it takes, I think, the average person leaving an abusive romantic relationship, they leave some, some upwards of ten times before they act, are actually able to successfully leave oh, permanently. Geez. Like, they try to... So... Yeah, this idea she would leave, but she'd come back, and she this hope that because the the cycle of violence you have like the the honeymoon phase where everything is great, and then you start getting the you know the, the abusive partner is very critical, gets violent, gets all this stuff, right. and but so it, it becomes really like 
tumultuous and it's the hope that if I can just do whatever I was doing to have him back or him because uh, statistically it's more often male perpetrators female victims but that's not to say that's always the case like there are absolutely cases where it's reversed there of are, course yeah so I don't want to be making you know huge general yeah, generalizations absolutely. here but yeah this idea that if I can just behave the right way to get him back to where we were good yes then we'll be good and so you, you kind of see that in her Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I'll come back and you're done with this now, right? Like, we're, we're good. And he's like, yeah, we're good. And then JD comes out. And then JD later. comes back. And yeah. like, at, at the worst fit, he straight up attempts to rape her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so her, her ex. And it is a, a drawn out, yeah, very visceral scene. It is hard to watch. It is, yeah. Um, and you see her fight back and she like barricades herself in the bathroom and she, you know, she's doing everything right, yeah, quote it unquote. totally fits that narrative, yeah. though, of domestic partner violence. Yeah, and just, and just, yeah, the absolute, this cycle of violence where it's like, okay, we're good again, oh, until we're not. Yeah. And so I thought that, yeah, with, through that reading, like, I don't know if that was intentional, but that's what it reminded me of, and so it, it's almost, yeah, looking at it, but where the, like you said, the Jekyll and Hyde, yeah. the Hyde is literally a you know evil spirit that is yeah yeah, i think the one way this movie betrays that reading from being like a solid message kind of Mm -hmm. thing is the fact that it is a possession movie yeah because it does give that out like therefore ike is actually innocent yeah and And you're rooting for him to come back the evil guy whereas um a more nuanced look using your approach it's the kind of thing where it's like well ultimately they are the same person they're two parts of the same yeah person. and so like i don't want to say they're say that that they're two parts of the same person but i almost wonder if that was a way to kind of explore this issue but at the same time not have to crack it all the way open like being able to say it's just a ghost or That's it's just a spirit enough. but we're still going to look at some of these themes that are maybe yeah. affecting people close to us or yeah. affecting us you know like it, there's and it, it's it's in every community really but i just it's i think that's just fresh on my mind because i did watch the surviving r kelly documentary and i'm seeing, right you know seeing many black women on twitter being like you know okay when are we gonna start standing up for and protecting and valuing black women and girls in these right. situations in our own communities and also more broadly because it just gets dismissed like it does even yeah more so yeah. kind of it's I, i've seen so many horror stories where they you know you see they're now adult women talking about how their family took in, you know, a, a cousin or something who had problems and they felt like almost their well-being was kind of put aside to help rescue this right. this abusive cousin or this abusive family member or right. this uncle who lived with them for a while and that themselves and their, their needs and their well-being are not prioritized the same way as, you know, other, other family members of right. more, whether they're older or... A different gender or you know whatever the family dynamic is so i think that being fresh on my mind maybe kind of primed me to see it this way that's but, really interesting because yeah. you i i didn't watch the documentary with you you're watching this at your place yeah with my um, mom and sisters and so like you filled me in on a lot of it mm-hmm. and uh i heard secondhand but yeah that is interesting because without that at the forefront of my brain or anything like that i i didn't pick up on that nearly as much but hearing you talk about it it's like absolutely that's there, you yeah. know. And it's... then you see, and then one of the other things that really drove it in was the frustration of the police officer yeah. who was her ex because he's like, we need to charge him, we need to do this, and they're like, well, she she won't press charges. What can we do? Yeah. And you see that happen so much where it's like, well, you know, why isn't why isn't that person in jail? It's like because no one would press charges against them, and that's part of the. 
the fear of it is like, if I do this, what's going to happen to me? Yeah. And that brings a good point because, uh, that no one will press charges often ends up being like a shot at the victim. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Whereas she, in this movie, she comes across as really strong and capable despite this. So it doesn't feel so much like, oh, she can't help it. She's been victimized to the point where like, um she's unstable or mm-hmm. anything like that. Like, I don't get those vibes from no. this movie. Um, so it really is an interesting take on it. I'd be interested in watching this again with that mm-hmm. more in my mind now that you've mentioned it. Yeah, I, I would definitely rewatch yeah. it at some point. When I do revisit this, with yeah. That. Yeah. Because, like we said, uh, given the base premise, it was kind of a turn mm-hmm. on us. Like... It's a fairly early into the movie you realize that JD is really shitty, but... Um, but he, it, it escalates. It's, it's just like, you know, when you go into a revenge movie, especially like some sort of like fantastical ghost revenge movie, you expect righteousness. Mm-hmm. And we don't get that. Not yeah, at least wholly, not, not to the sure. extent that, you, that you're primed to expect with yeah. that whole sort of subgenre. Yeah. And, um, yeah, stereotypical story arc. Yeah. Would you recommend this one? Yeah, I think so. With, with, of course, the precaution of, like, you know, beware, there's there's some stuff that's kind of hard to watch in it, but I That's think, exactly yeah. what I was going to say, because, I mean, a lot of these, the movies of this ilk, you do kind of get some of that, like, especially, like, the gangster movies of this ilk, you kind of get some of that misogyny coming out and all that, but there was something really raw about it in this movie. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was pretty hard to sit through at times. Yeah, and I don't know if it's just because, like, you know, it wasn't too like a random maybe it was hard hard to watch because it's like yeah it wasn't just a, a random person or something it was a character we developed like empathy for and like yeah the movie and also time and we and we knew their relationship and yeah. so seeing not just the what was happening to her but what was happening to their relationship was maybe yeah. that extra bit of like, oh, like so oh. in the hollywood movie sense the character is less dispensable like not yeah saying that people yeah in real life are dispensable sure, in that but, way but it's yeah. one of those things where we have that investment yes yeah. and, and in in the characters and i think in the relationship with one another too right and so seeing both be affected is kind of hard to watch or it's, it's yeah. yeah it's sad at least like you have more emotional investment in it yeah definitely <laughs> Boy, <hey>. yeah <laughs> no there's some there's some good stuff in these in these ones for sure even if you go in thinking that it's just going to be, you know, fun revenge flick or yeah. a, a sort of um, exploitation or exploitation adjacent kind of like yeah. just for fun, whatever flick. It's like, oh, there, there's, there's some, co- there's some, uh, there's some like latent content there too to be, yeah. to be. And it's discovered. funny because you wonder how much of that was intent and mm-hmm. how much of it just kind of developed that way, like in a subconscious sense or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and you never at, know. At the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily matter because... <laughs> yes. uh, like, you can't really read it without the authorial intent, but you also can't really read it as that's the only thing that matters. Exactly. Like, you gotta kind of hit that Like, mix. every every individual... Yeah, the author is dead, but is going to... there was an author. Yeah. So you kind of have to think of it that way. But also recognize that every audience member is going to have their own interpretation and interpret it through mm-hmm. the lens of their experiences and their worldview. suppose moving on, we've got our third movie... This one was uh, Tales from the Hood, 1995. <laughs> this was fun. This was like so a, much fun. a Tales <laughs> from the Crypt style anthology. Um, 
And a couple of the anthologies deal directly with our topic of... Our stories in the anthology. Sorry, a couple of the stories in the anthology deal directly with the idea of um, revenge from beyond the grave. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had seen this one before. You hadn't. No. Uh, what did you think of it? it? It was fine. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's goofy in the right ways. It is. And, uh, well, if you, yeah, I mean, if you can't tell from the, the title, they're kind of playing on this idea of, like, Tales from the Crypt. Yep. And you have this sort of Crypt Keeper kind of character. Oh, my God. Okay, I fucking love the storyteller in this. He's, the, uh, he's he fantastic. He is fantastic. The mortician yeah. is so good in this. Um, yeah, he's, he's a great character. Uh, the performance is just wild. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. Uh, do you want to give a... Well, I guess the brief recap, because it's four different stories yeah, jammed into it kind of with a workaround. But the yeah. brief, the basic, basic story is these three uh, gangsters, these, these uh, thugs are showing up to this place, this funeral home, because they heard that they could score drugs that the mortician found. Found in a body or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah he just found like yeah. piles of drugs and he's like, I'll sell them. And so they're showing up and then in the funeral home... Uh, he as they're going through to find that to to take him to the drugs, he tells them stories of what happened to some of the dead people in the home, mm-hmm. and those are the different stories we get. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the first story, holy shit, it is so bleak and depressing that this is just as relevant today yes. as when it was made. Good God. Um, do you want to give a little brief? Do you yeah. want to? Oh, um, or do you want me to? Yeah, maybe you do it. Okay, the first story, um, we have this rookie cop um, named Clarence. He is on a, ro- not really ride-along because he is a cop, but he's partnered with this sort of scumbaggy white dude, and they're driving, and he's and the white guy's telling him about the job a bit, like, you can't, you, you can't, like, you gotta expect the worst, you have to prepare yourself, because this job is so hard, it'll, it'll get at you, like, you gotta be a hard dude to totally do this, um, and they pull up to a, a stop, like, a pullover of this, uh, other car, there's these two white cops that pulled over a black guy, and the cops are harassing him, like, when the, uh, well, Clarence and his partner roll up to the scene, uh, the guy who was pulled over, is yelling at them about, like, you had no right to do this, this is an illegal Yeah, he's very stop. informed of, like, his own rights and his, yeah. and everything. Yeah, he's like, yeah, you had no reason to pull me over. Yeah. And so the, what do they do? They smash his taillight and go, yeah, oh, smash, your taillight's Yeah, out. they smash his taillight, and then they're at him, they start saying stuff about, like, so when are you going to stop going after good cops and all that stuff? Because it turns out he's um, an activist. Yeah, he's an activist. And after a punch gets delivered from one of the cops, Clarence is just about ready to jump in when the other guys are like, you're green, you're a rookie, you don't know what you're talking about. And they send him back to the squad car to go look up the license plate mm-hmm. to make sure the car's not stolen. And as he's distracted doing that, we find out that this activist lawyer guy is cracking down on corrupt cops who are selling drugs yep. in the district. Yeah, because isn't he, he he's, he's involved in city council somehow, yes. I think. Yeah, like he, he's, if he's... He's like a, he's a pretty prominent political figure. And yeah, he's saying, you know, I, he tells me I have no problem with good cops. It's the ones that are doing dirty business and who are, yeah, introducing drugs to to my community and at the expense of our well-being. Yeah. And so they beat him brutally while Clarence is, uh, yeah, essentially to death, not quite to death because then they go ahead and make sure to kill him. But make it look like a... 
overdose, yeah, suicide, like accident, like yeah. really over over the top. And then uh, Clarence quits the force because he feels like he should have done more. But then he starts hearing voices of the guy who was killed telling him to to get revenge, to like bring the cops back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's and, having like, nightmares and stuff, right? Yeah, he's having like these nightmares, these uh, weird dreams and visions. With the amount of cop violence directed at black people that we hear about in the news, like mm-hmm. this story was so pertinent. Yep. Like the idea that the cops pull someone over for doing nothing at all. They the just make of, up yeah. an excuse. Yeah. yeah the just, crime of being black in public. Yeah. They, or in or in Canada here for being indigenous in public. Or yeah. being Latinx in public. Like there's just some not being a part of a visibly non-culturally dominant group. Yeah. That they as, associate with inherently with suspicion and with crime. And right. With doing no good. Um, but because of that, uh, they pull him over, the cops stop him, and he ends up dead at the hands of the cops. Yeah, he's, he's, like, the he's cops executed on the street. Him, basically, yeah. um, in so many words. Yeah, uh, in, in our, our democratic countries with who allegedly have something called rule of law, and the this, you know, innocent until proven guilty, and the right to a fair trial, and instead that you have citizens being executed on the street, yep. and usually there are no repercussions for this. Yep. And, and that's exactly how it goes down in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it takes the horror element for the repercussions, the revenge from beyond the grave, for there to be any repercussions, because the cops get away with it, and they continue to be corrupt, shitty cops, like, even, because... Yeah, only oh, movie... they threaten Clarence when he says, I, he's like, I, I have to report, he's like, they're like, no, you, the brotherhood of cops, you never yeah. report anyone, and, you know, they try to say the whole, oh, it's just a few bad apples, and it's like, yeah, yeah but if you protect them... I don't want that bad apple thing. Yeah, that bad apple thing. It's like, it's just a few bad apples. It's like, you guys get what that saying means, right? Yeah, and it spoils the bunch, so you gotta get rid of them. But it's just like a few bad apples. Like, I feel like the way that's used today by some people is like, a few bad apples are just a few, so just leave them be. Yeah, they they are. Yeah, exactly. It's like, um... It's it's fucked up. It's like, you're missing the point. Um, But... And they get away with it because, like, it flashes forward to a year later, the, yeah, anniversary, the anniversary of the death. Um, that is, I remember the first time I saw this just being, like, kind of shook at how, because it wasn't that long ago. It was probably a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those things that, well, not a couple of years ago even. It was whenever Scream Factory put out Tales from the okay. Hood. I bought it and watched it immediately. Because, uh, yeah, you said Chris recommended it to you, right? Yeah. my A good friend of mine, Chris, recommended it to me. And so I was really excited to see it when it got a fancy special edition release but even then and still today it was one of those things that i was shocked at how in your face it is there and just like they're like yeah (laughs) i don't know how else to describe it yeah um so the second story we have it actually kind of goes back to the theme of um what we were talking about with JD's revenge, mm-hmm. and um, you have this, this this young kid who moved. He recently, you know, joined, came to a new school, and his teacher notices that he's coming in with with bruises and mm-hmm. various like it looks like he's been getting hurt, and he's obviously concerned for him. And he's like, "Hey, buddy, what's what's going on? Like, did some of the kids do that to you, beating you up or something?" He's like, "Oh no, no, it's uh and." He reveals it's been happening at home, and it's from a monster. Yeah, it's the monster that's getting him. Yeah, and the monster that has been around since his dad died. 
Yeah, and we see, we see those those uh, flashbacks, like those 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 moments when the monsters coming at him, where you hear the roaring outside his and door, the and the big like clawed hand tears. slowly opening the door, like yeah, this big green us. veiny hand with the mm-hmm. claws. Um, yeah. And eventually, he draws the monster because one of his friends says, "Well, my mom says that if you're scared of something, you should draw it." And then burn the paper or something, and it won't be able to scare you anymore. And it gives mm-hmm. you that kind of sense of control over it. Gives you that power, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he draws the monster, and yeah, it's this big green Hulk-looking mm-hmm. thing. And uh, yeah, the teacher is, you know, convinced, like, okay, there's something going on at home with this kid. I gotta go check it out. You know, since you did mention the link up to JD's revenge, it's worth noting that the monster is actually once again depicted as the specter of domestic abuse yeah. within the home. But this time it's it's from the kid's perspective and he he sees the perpetrator as a literal monster. Yeah. And it's And that's uh, how he makes sense of what's going on is that there's a monster in his house. Because who else would do this to him and his mom and his, and the, just do this to the to their family unit other than a monster. Yeah, it's uh Jesus, this movie for something so light and goofy was also so heavy at times. Yeah, it deals it was... with it, it's it's very like politically and it does loaded. It, well. it, it does. treads that line so fucking yeah. well. Yeah, because it, it doesn't. Yeah, it it, it it yeah does that where it's able to talk about some stuff that is so serious and so like not funny, but talk to but be able to go about it in a way that's more, I guess, less abrasive and more engaging and welcoming. Right to general audiences than mm-hmm. just straight up, you know. Well, obviously, like you see, public discourse around these topics gets so polarized so quickly, and so much backlash for even just people daring to bring them up and say, "Hey, um, can we, you know, can we, we have a problem here? Can we talk about it? How dare you?" It's so uh, fucked up like, that being like, "Hey, domestic abuse is bad," gets backlash. Mm-hmm. But I mean, also police brutality. Yeah, and, and like. Yeah, racial profiling and stop and frisk and carding and all this stuff. Like, like right now, um, I know provincially in the past like year or two, we've t- there's been talks about trying to get the provincial government to end cart the practice of carding. Where, right. Yes. Where, yeah. It, where because um, a local activist with uh, our local like Black Lives Matter chapter, he did like the a FOIP request to see the documents of um, like carding procedures and everything, and it and. No surprise here that um, Black and Indigenous people are overwhelmingly the ones who are just stopped in public and, at, you know, the cops with, apropos of nothing, just, you know... Where's your ID? Where's your ID? Can I see some identification, please? And it's like... And they, they have no reason to do it. No, like... I, not that, you know, and they, they, but they don't need one right I now. have been stopped by cops before few times i have never been carded mm-hmm. and look at that i'm white yeah you know go figure never been carded once i've been stopped by cops many times well mm. like a handful of times um enough to be like yeah this is great, great i remember experience. one time i was walking home from a party with a bunch of friends drunk and but not not being like drunk and disorderly no we were public. just we were just people who were drunk who were walking from pointing to be hence the walking because yeah. we'd been drinking um I believe we were all 18 at this point, mm. which is the legal age here yep. in Edmonton. Um, I should oh, yeah. emphasize Alberta, that because yeah. some places it's not. <laughs> no. Nope. Um, and some cops roll up and uh, everyone scatters. The second the cops roll up, everyone runs for it. And I'm the one guy that's like, you guys, what the fuck, right? And the cops just say like, hey, what are you guys doing out here? 
Or, like, what are you doing out here? Because everyone else just fucking ran to the bushes. The cops don't try to chase them even remotely. They just, yeah. like, say, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, we drank a bunch, and now we're going home. Yeah, and they're we're like, walking. that's fine. Okay. Well, I, I thought they gave you the... Because I, I thought you told me about one time where you were walking, like, what are you doing out here? Oh, that's the fucking sheriff. Of, yeah, <sighs> and, and the, where you were like, I'm walking home. Like, have you been drinking? And you're like, yeah, that's why I'm walking. That was another time. That was a different <laughs> yeah, one from okay. this, but that's that also happened. Yeah. Where she's like, yes, like, I'm not being drunk and disorderly in public. I'm just trying to get home safely in a way that doesn't endanger myself or motorists or, like, I'm doing what you're supposed to do and you're yeah. still hassling me about it. But it because, was, you know, uh, you're in a suburb at night and looking sketchy or whatever. And mm-hmm. and even, like you said, like, I'm sure that the fact that you're white shielded you from a oh, lot absolutely. more skepticism. I, I don't doubt for a second that my whiteness did because, yeah. you know, I was total little punk shit back then mm-hmm. and you know um and this neighborhood is full of them like yeah we're suburban white kids so yeah I, I, but if yeah you hadn't been i could have seen the, yeah the but i mean like i managed to rouse enough suspicion like even as a white person mm-hmm. like how many how often have i going through the airport gotten the uh sir sir we have to, you need to stop you and just swab your hands apropos of nothing to make sure you know we're building bombs yeah. and stuff and it's like Okay, this is probably because of the tattered jeans and, like, the big army jacket I'm wearing and the huge fuck-off stomper boots and all that kind <laughs> of thing. And the grumpy face. And it's like, okay, I, I kind of get, like, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, as a white person, I don't doubt for a second that that's what made all those experiences so fucking easy Yeah, you didn't get, get interrogated get for hours or yeah. just, like, locked in a room somewhere or yeah. asked about your religious beliefs or, like, yeah, it's... How do we get home to this? Oh, I don't even know. Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Um, but, oh, right. We were talking about uh, people's outrage at being yes. mad about stop and frisk and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's, I feel like we as white people shouldn't be getting upset when people who aren't white are upset by these things. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, like, as I told with these stories... I've had it so easy yeah. in so many ways. Like, it's it, these were all, like, I told them as amusing anecdotes. Yeah. They were all minor inconveniences. For exactly. for other people, they're not amusing anecdotes. They're fucking threatening and scary. Tra- and traumatizing. Um, I've been fortunate in my life that I've been able to avoid that. Mm-hmm. And like I've said many times now, I think a lot of that has to do with my whiteness. and. Yeah. I'm not just saying that for brownie points. I really do fucking believe that. Yeah, it's a um, shield to a lot of shit that... Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Anyway, third story. Third story. And this is, yeah, this, this is, is the one that you is, keep thinking yeah, about. Yeah, that is another one that's like, woo, yeah, this could be happening literally this year still. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a super shitty... Um, reactionary, I don't know if he's running for senator or some kind of local election, but... Running for some bullshit. He's, run, he's running for some political stuff, and he he's, he's white. He moves into a predominantly, I think, black kind of community. Not just moved into. But he moved specifically into a an old plantation house. Oh, class. That, so much class. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in this particular plantation house, um, after the Civil War ended, the owner of the house he you know his slaves are like well you know, we're free bye and he got so mad he killed each and every last one of them yeah he killed them specifically because he how could, do they put it he couldn't stand to see them free yeah exactly so already the history is 
maliciously racist, mm-hmm. not just in the slavery, but also in the, the, the death of these, the slaves uh-huh. who had just been, you know, legally freed. And so he moves in much to the chagrin of the local people who not only are they like, you know, fuck your politics talking about just, you know, race. Because he was a former, they say one time. Oh, yeah. He used to be, he used to straight up be a member of the clan. Yeah. His name is Duke Metger. And it's like, that is such a clanman's name. That's Clans, like that. Yeah. That's some David Duke shit, you know, yeah. like fuck well, this Duke's guy. In there, right? Yeah. So yeah. he's a piece of shit and they're like, okay, get, you know, get you and your shitty politics out of our neighborhood talking about, you know, stirring up all this, like, race, racial panic with, with the white constituents, but also get the fuck out of that house because it's so disrespectful. They're like, you know, we should just, like, let let it, let the souls that rest in peace. Like, it's very, mm-hmm. you have one, um, the, like, old man who's like, they're gonna get you, they need to rest, like, yeah. get out of that house. That's that sort of character that forewarns everybody and they just write him off with this crazy old man. And what's interesting about the house is that um, prior to this guy, piece of shit guy moving in, there was, um, once again, we had this this voodoo element where this um, priestess, she was said to be uh, ha- to be a priestess or something. Something of, along something of, lines, so, Something of religious like power and authority yes. within the voodoo religion there. And um, she, since the, the, the mythology of it is that the, um, the souls since they were, you know, killed so suddenly and they didn't get a chance to rest, they're left wandering and they don't have right. anything to inhabit. So what she did was she made, you know, for the hundred, somewhere between hundred and I think like 200 people who perished there, she made all of these dolls right. that were specifically intended for that, their souls to inhabit. And they are said to be on the property still, but the guy, he's looked everywhere, can't find them. Yeah. And there's this huge mural of her sitting there with all these dolls. Just like a mountain of dolls. Yeah. And, um, yeah, bad shit starts happening around the house. And as it does, you see, you know, these animated dolls that are going around messing stuff up for this guy, messing stuff up for his media team. And as stuff keeps happening, he keeps looking back at this mural and more and more dolls are disappearing. He sees, like, white silhouette of where the doll used to be. Fucking love that. Oh, it's so So good. And eventually the the woman herself in the chair disappears. And, like, it's so cool. But, yeah, it's back to this... um, this revenge from beyond the grave, yes. but specifically connecting the the voodoo like necromancy, just magic. like the Sugar Hill slaves yeah, again. Yeah, it's the slaves again, and this this wrongfully this wrongful death, and then just the like adding insult to injury of having a person like this mm-hmm. moving into and desecrating the yeah. the spot where their souls are attempting to be at rest. Yes. So yeah, because what does he say? He's like, I'm gonna paint over this mural as soon as I'm elected, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like. Not only does he, I'm not even going to say he ignores the history of the house, because obviously it's a very deliberate choice on it his is, part yeah, to no, move he, in there. It is, yeah, no, he laughs in the face of it. He's just like, I, I didn't do it, so like, I'm like, not personally responsible He's literally for it. whitewashing it by yeah. saying, like, I'm going to paint over these walls. Yeah, you know, yeah like, and just, yeah, presumably in white. <laughs> fucking piece of shit, man. Yeah, so it's, yeah, he's, he's gross, and he gets his comeuppance. It's great, I love that oh, part. Same. Yeah, this is... And this is another I one that's this like... this is my favorite of the three yeah, stories. this is the one that's most memorable to me, yeah. at least, I think. I mean, like, I there's something I loved about all of them. Absolutely. But, like, this one was probably my favorite. Because uh, it was so deserved. Mm-hmm. And it's just so pertinent to, like, what you've seen in the last couple of years, especially with, like, the what happened in Charlottesville oh a couple God, of years yeah. ago. It's like, yeah, this guy could easily be running 
for mm-hmm. office and have probably a lot of popular support. Yeah, he doesn't populist. seem like nearly as much of a caricature. Yeah, and he's and, and he's not so much of a fringe candidate either. And yeah, that's terrifying. Like I remember when I first saw this, it w- it did seem like oh you're seeing guys like that. Like seems running today. It's, well, <laughs> no, no, it didn't seem day. It felt it felt though, like when I saw maybe when it came out. Yeah. I can't say, but when I saw it, which was just like last year or two. Yeah. Um, it's like oh, I'm sort of seeing these people. Like I, I it's depressing that this is real, but this mm-hmm. is only doubled down. Like mm-hmm. on the second viewing, it's like this is even more so. Yeah. And that is, I look forward to the day where I can watch this and be like, how antiquated! <laughs> no one is like that today. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they are, they are. Shame. They are out shunned of the from society and into the shadows of their own fucking assholes where they belong, in the sewers, <laughs> out of society. Because yeah, right anyway. up their own asses. Oh fuck! Shadows of their own assholes. Wow. I think very highly of this. Clearly. Yeah. And then our last story. I admit I had a bit of problem with a little bit. Um, the basic, basic premise is um, a gangbanger shoots down someone he has a beef with. Yeah, who owes him money or something. It's a, ri- like a rivalry and, kind of and thing. And then a bunch of guys come out of the house he's in front of and shoot the original shooter near to death when the cops roll up and kill his shooters. And he's left bleeding on the ground and he just says something along the lines of, like, shit, saved by the fucking cops. Yeah, go figure. Um... <laughs> He ends up with a life term in prison. Yeah, life term in prison that if he's willing to undergo a behavior modification uh, experiment thing, thing yeah. he might get out. And we see him stuck in this dystopian wasteland kind of like asylum where he's rigged up to all these machines. It looks like something out of the movie Brazil. And they're going to do Clockwork Orange-esque experiments to make him like to rehabilitate his mind. And that's where I had the beef with it. It was... Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you what my problem was with with it. Um, I thought it was a really good message in that gang violence is harmful and, like, it needs... that There is a problem there for sure. But it was... I felt like there was so much equation of, as they put it, black on black gang violence with clans violence and racial violence that it almost felt like it undermined the other stories the 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 racial violence kind of thing where it's just like it was equating the two where it's just like oh you being a gangster who's shooting your brothers as they put it um that's just as bad as histories of lynching and all that stuff like it was putting the two together and that really rubbed me the long wrong way because it felt like it was letting racialized white violence off the hook too mm. much. When racialized white violence, the historical legacies of slavery and dispossession and everything are the exact reasons we have the, the, things like the so called crime epidemic that yeah, they're Yeah, like like, like going you know, on. gangs and stuff. A lot of you know, most of the times, like that's the literally the only option available to, for survival. Exactly. It's... So and what's the co- and to not acknowledge the context out of which that came and what maintains this and everything, it's like doing a huge disservice because yeah. i because i mean you know assume like it, it the the reprogrammer lady like you know she she is black so it's very much a sort of like um 
Like this, this wasn't a white kind of like white gaze coming in and slaying. Oh, tusk, tusk, you black on black crime committers. Even beyond her kind of thing, because it would be one thing if it was a white person saying that there'd Mm -hmm. be a message there together. Movie is written and directed uh, by a black person, and Spike Lee produced it. Yes, that's right. Um, so it's, this one isn't like white people making a black story. Yeah. That's for sure. So yeah, I I, like, so I definitely kind of, you know, take my, take my critique, I guess, with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. This is is like, we've been telling our own stories But yeah, I, I also see that. Yeah. I mean, first of all, when he was in that sort of like reprogramming thing, I just immediately thought of the sunken place. Oh God. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, it, 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 it does a disservice to like I get the message of saying because yeah I, most of the time whether it's it's gang violence whether it's organized like mafia type crime it predominantly harms the communities in which it operates and absolutely and, everything. and I, I believe that there is a stronger history perhaps at the time of this movie because this would have been not too long after Rodney King. I'm not 100%. Mm, right. And like a lot of the riots and stuff, yeah. like, there. I've seen other things around this time that point to an epidemic of gang violence within black communities. A lot of it, of course, is, you know, white people fear mongering. But like, there is this idea that it's not helping to have this violence, even mm-hmm. if it is like within the community itself, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to say that, like, yeah. therefore it's fine, but. It just, I don't know, I felt it, weird. It depoliticizes yeah. it, it hand rings, it it makes it seem like it's up to individuals. Like, all you have to do is hold, gang, you know, join hands with your brothers and sisters and agree to peace, and, it, and it's done. It's like, bullshit. I fucking like that. wish it was that yeah, easy. Yeah, it, it's not like that here, it's not like that anywhere else in the world. There's yeah. so much more, like, it's just, yeah, it's given how... Because we like, get that speech where he's talking to the fucking Nazi next door, yeah. and the dude has Hitler's face tattooed Literally tattooed on, on his chest, like he's a full. He has a knife tattooed on his forearm that says "N word killer. killer," and yeah. it's like you know, like this guy is a disgusting piece of yeah. shit. Yeah, he tells him you know the race um, war is coming, the whites are gonna reign supreme, and we're gonna kill. But him. then he has this sort of gotcha moment where he's like, "I bet you can guess the race of the people I killed. Tell me what was the race of people you killed?" And then yeah. it's just like, "Oh, we both killed black people." Like that was his gotcha moment. Yeah, and it's one of the things. It's like, and it's like because the power and resources <sighs> you're operating with, because the I feel like context, it's not the fucking same. You know, it's like. Yeah. And that that is just such a a bad take. Yeah, it felt like a bit of a cop out where it's like, okay, it but only one of the people is doing that to incite racial hatred. Yeah. Um, guess which one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was an interesting premise, but mm-hmm. I felt like the last story kind of betrayed itself a little bit. And yeah. it I don't know, it rubbed me the wrong way a little mm-hmm. bit. But it's one of those things where, again, um, I'm not black and I didn't grow up as part of the black community in the nineties. And so I can't speak to how someone within the community would feel about the state of gang violence versus the state of, uh, racial, the history of racialized yeah. violence. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I mean, cause yeah, it's like, I, I don't want to veer out of my lane, so yeah. to speak or anything, but at the same time, I just having, you know, read some Angela Davis and Lord right. of the black Panther party and stuff like this, it's just like, what a disservice, you know? Like, this yeah. is such a politically centrist 
or like radical centrist almost yeah. like oh both sides are equally bad kind yeah. of thing and it's just like no you're not doing you're, you're doing such a disservice yeah. here to the people who are living this every day because i remember affected by it i remember this one rubbing me the wrong way a bit the first time i had seen it but i forgot why mm. and then when i saw it again it was just like, oh, like oh that's daddy. why <laughs> yeah um but this movie three quarters on the fucking money mm-hmm. i would say uh, and then the wraparound, again, was great because our Crypt Keeper-esque <laughs> host is just fucking magic. Like, this dude Oh, yeah. Rules. He's fantastic. Uh, as far as movies, this was a pretty solid week. Mm-hmm. Um, that was nice. Which, yeah, because uh, I felt like we were veering a bit of the horror lane once again. Because um, we picked, quote-unquote, horror exploitation movies for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But... No, I thought there it was solid all the way around. Absolutely. So I was really, uh, I was really excited by the choices. Yeah. Me too. I'm glad you enjoyed them as well. Yeah. Um, before we sign off for the day, though, we should probably hit up our recommendations. Yes. Um, I guess I'll go first this time. Sure. Uh, I am recommending one of my favorite movies. That okay, this flick I only saw for the first time within the last two years. And it's one of those things that, given how much of a classic it is, it blows my mind that it took that long to watch. Especially given one of my my best friends, Chris, who I've mentioned earlier, this is one of his favorite movies of all time. I'm talking Candyman, 1992. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cannot believe it took me so long to watch this movie. Well, um, I only saw it for the first time like a year ago because yeah. we're like, we have to watch this. Yeah, it, it was shortly after I had watched mm-hmm. it for the first time. I saw it and was like, this was a revelation. We yeah, need to watch it's so this. Yeah, so good. Um, and now that Scream Factory put out, like, a, the uncut version, all restored and stuff, I cannot wait to watch this again. Mm-hmm. This will be coming up in a future episode, yeah, I guarantee. Yeah, we have some talking about aspects um, of it. But I'm recommending this because it even fits with this episode in that it is um, a story that deals with race, deals with black communities, and it's shown in juxtaposition to the richer white communities. But it features this figure who is getting revenge from beyond the grave. Yeah. Um, there is elements of the slavery stuff that we talked about in like JD's Revenge and that one story from Tales from the Hood. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this is a really good compendium. Yes. The movies we watched. I, uh, I don't want to say much more about it other than if you haven't seen it, fucking see it. And so like you need to watch Candyman. It's got Ted Raimi, which is great. Ted right. Raimi's in Candyman. <laughs> Forgot and about that. Candyman's just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So watch Candyman. Candyman. Hell yeah. I'm not dead yet. I said it five times, but I'm still alive. <laughs> You're not in front of a mirror. I don't know if that's that true. I'm in front of a webcam. Does that true. do anything? <laughs> All right. So what is your recommendation? I was thinking of going with Get Out, but I was like, that seems a little bit... So I I mean, I'll say if you haven't seen it or it's been a while, watch Get Out anyway. Our, but... <laughs> the queer horror cult general recommendation is if you haven't seen Get Out, what the fuck are you yeah, doing? Yeah, this it seems relevant. Like it's been about a year. No, about a couple, it's been a couple of years now. Came out 2017. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Fantastic movie. I need to revisit it. I, I, you know, we watch it in theaters. Haven't wa- I haven't watched it again since. I have a copy, so we, we, will, so we will watch yeah, it again. Yeah, we will rewatch that one. I'm really looking forward to it. There, that's another one. Super smart. So much going on there. So many layers mm-hmm. and some symbolism and stuff that is just, ama- you know, fantastic. But that's not your. But no, that, that's our general but, one. Yes, yeah. for 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 this. But yeah, my I decided instead to go with um, one of my favorite movies of last year. Which, so 2018, which is yep. The First Purge. The First Purge. This oh, this the, was a fun one. Yeah, the, um, I love this movie. You can probably tell, especially since like our third or fourth episode was about this, um, we're fans of The Purge. Yes. We enjoyed these movies and Ride series. Ride or die yeah. for The Purge. 
I still, I, I think I've said this before, but I, I still think, you know, I see it get a lot of flack for like, oh, this is such a ridiculous concept. And why are they still going? There's four movies. I think TV the hardest part about it was, was just being willing to accept the concept. But yeah. like when you get the concept, it's like, this is some hilarious in your face satire. It's not yes. subtle, even slightly. No. But, and and uh, the first purge is probably the least subtle about it. Which oh, is there is I nothing love. subtle about the first so purge. So much. And that is what we needed. Yes. And, but, um, black director, predominantly black cast, and mm -hmm. just again showing that the the differences in the socioeconomic yeah classes the, the, the first purge is in the first movie the purge one yeah was like this gated upper class white community kind of thing yeah this very um, white flight suburb and you got a lot of that through the other purges and in the purge series you saw the really like super white family and all that stuff but the first purge this is a prequel to the we entire flipped series. to show the people that would be most harmed. Yeah. And the people for whom our, the purge experiment was started on. Yeah. In Staten Island. Right. Yeah. And it, and it, yeah, it was, it was tested on predominantly black and Latino communities. Mm. That, and the way they actually got them to participate was that knowing that there was, you know, a lot of economic scarcity and stuff was, you know, we'll give you $5,000 or however yes. much money. If you will stay put during this night and don't worry, like nothing bad will happen. <sighs> yeah. And it's just, it's, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You don't actually have to go out and purge. It's just an experiment and you'll get your money. And we see, you find it very quickly. That's fucking bullshit. Mm -hmm. And the motive, the political motivations behind it. Like, it's just, I still think that the purge is one of the smartest explorations of modern power. And specifically yeah. in the North American context and the, the, the idea of... The, it's so relevant yeah, to today. And the government apparatus and this, it's just, it's... And this, you know, with the last few, like the first one, not so much, but the the second, third, and then this fourth, um, for the prequel, it really goes into the, the racial dynamics and yes. the, what the purge is really for. And I thought that was such and a great move on that part. Yeah, it's Because it so, could have been like, so easy to just keep it at, like, a this, this, like, basic surface level. It's just this politically neutral thing where people can go out and let off some steam. It's like, no, there's so much more to it than that. And this, realistically, this is exactly how it would go yeah. if it were implemented. Yeah. And so I, I think it's fucking brilliant. I absolutely love it. Plus Unapologetically. The, plus the scene with the clans people getting mm -hmm, just fucking mm -hmm. worked. Fucking poetry. Uh, so yeah, I've seen some people recently be like... Oh yeah, that movie is such like it's pretty pretty propaganda y and I'm like I That is propaganda drink it the fuck fucking up. here for yes. so eat my ass, basically. <laughs> yes, it's uh. fucking rules. Alright, so your recommendation is the first purge, mine's Candyman. Those are two um flicks you should watch. And the uh, general one is a bonus recommendation is get out. Bonus recommendation of get out, yep, yep, yep. Yep. <laughs> uh I feel like we had a decent discussion on that stuff. Um mm. I hope we kind of, like, were respectful and stayed in our lanes did it in, in a way. If we didn't, you know, certainly let us know. We're not yeah. ones that are going to sit here wanking our own dicks because <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, we talked about racial justice. We're, we're such like good cookies. white people. Yeah, Fuck no. that shit. Um, but feel free to get mad at us otherwise. Uh, call us out. Call us in. Call call us over. And if you don't want to put the effort into doing that, you just want to disregard us to the waste bin of history. That's cool too. That's acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get it. But we we uh, want to put it out there. You know, we're always. This is a constant, never-ending process of learning. Like I don't think there's ever a point well, at which you become multiculturally not that educated they're the same thing, mm -hmm. but just as much as we want people to keep learning 
you know, like the straight world to keep learning about the queer world and all that stuff, you know, like that is where we feel other people need to put the effort in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but you know, it's not like we don't need to put our effort in here. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, just because yeah, you always see that with this idea of multicultural competency, especially in like professions and stuff. Like I know we've, Mm -hmm. we've, I've come across that in my psychology program and it's like, there is never a time at which we will be fully multiculturally competent. It's a lifelong learning process. Yep. It's, it's not a destination. It's constant willing to be willingness to be self-reflective, to be reflexive, to be like just, yeah, open and ex- accepting. And, well, it's like the idea yeah. that being an ally isn't what you are. It's, it's what, what you, you do. do. You, yeah. yeah. You, you, yeah. An ally is not an identity, a badge or something you wear. It's shown by your actions. Absolutely. Not by your declaring yourself to be an ally. Yeah. But uh, I suppose that brings us to the end of the night, and cool, cool. Yeah, feel free to, um, if you have any black horror, or um, whether that's writers, directors, actors. We would love yeah, anything we, you can point us at. Always looking for more, because I'm sure there's, there are hidden gems that we have yet to even yeah. hear about. So we are definitely open to that. Yeah. Um, as always, please let us know what you dig, what you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get us on social media, Twitter, yeah. Instagram. Or if you, if Facebook, you watch if the recommendations so for your, or even any of the ones we discussed today for yourself, let us know what you think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If you have any interesting um, readings, if you have... A slight milestone, yeah. which, you oh, know, yeah. maybe is, like, yeah. nothing to other people because we don't know the numbers, but uh, we've passed 1,000 downloads. Yes, so this that is, was pretty today cool. is January 16th, and, you, yeah, you mentioned today you checked, and we had passed all that. We passed 1,000 downloads, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool because, yeah, um, we started end of October. Yep. So, so not too not bad, bad for a couple bad. of nobodies. Um <laughs> But if you haven't yet and you've got the time, maybe go on iTunes or wherever and Stitcher. give us a rating, give us a review. Yeah, we, as of now, I checked, and at least on iTunes, because I have an iPhone, we still don't have enough ratings to no. appear to see what people are saying. Don't or... make me start paying my family members to rate our show. <laughs> <laughs> make fake accounts. <laughs> yeah, don't make, my, don't make me get my dad and uncle to like fucking sock puppet this shit, all right? <laughs> Um, I guess I have an American iTunes account. I could <laughs> write us a review. No, oh, I God. won't. But yeah, we, we don't want to resort to that, so please help us. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Um, and so, as of when this goes up in a couple weeks, I will have come back from the film festival. In and uh, we're hoping to have a bit of a. Debrief. You know, debrief that a little bit. So in a future episode, we'll be talking about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the weekend after you get back from Europe, there's also the, uh, the very first Dead ever by Edmonton Con. Dead by Con. Um, we haven't heard back yet, but we did submit our movie for consideration. We did. So and we want to go check it out anyway. Yeah, we want to check it out. Local, Rose local is horror be there. Yeah. Like Angela. It's... Yep. <laughs> our favorite. Um, we, we will do, I, I keep saying this, we will, we will do a Sleepaway Camp yeah. episode. Because we fucking love Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. All three of them. Oh, and I guess um, since it's actually passed by the time this goes up, I can spill the tea on uh, at the Berlin Festival, got to participate on a panel. You, you will, by this I time, will, you will have gotten to, um, yeah. Discussing uh, filmmaking and women in horror and stuff. So that's pretty cool. Um, I'm that hoping to... Exciting. 
to be a little more real time with it and maybe record some bonus stuff while I'm over there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, put my thoughts down. I'm going to bring my little recorder with me. Yeah. And so. Aaron, your, our friend Aaron's going to be there with you. Yep. So Shout out to Aaron. She listens to us every week. Yeah, we love you, Aaron. <laughs> Both for, for listening to us every week. for and the for being awesome our friend for years. For the awesome pins you made us. Yes. That was cool. And the and the Babadook Christmas card with the light up eyes. Yes, Babadook the Christmas card. So good. But then also uh, for just being there and being awesome with our filmmaking endeavors and just being there and being awesome in general. So Yeah, we love you. Yeah. And cool. you'll have to come on with us sometime. So this is a shout out corner. Um <laughs> I suppose that's it. Yeah, I think so. Take it easy and keep it sleazy. Oh, I will. Me too.